just when I thought I was on, but I wasn't, and I was off. Um, last time I was here, there was two of you who did a great job reading the Bible. Can you come up here? You know, you remember who you were. One, I remember that one, yeah. yeah. But who was the other? There you go. There was two of you. I need them both up here. This last time when I was here. There you go. Come on. There you go. Very good. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the business of, of what to do when you're here. Um, so the, the crazy thing happened. Did you know in this, in this province, we still have the liberty of sharing Bible stories in the schools? And over the years, I have heard that the biggest problem is getting people to do it. Isn't that crazy? I mean, when it gets taken away, we complain about how, how bad things are and that, that that shouldn't be the case. Here, just, my wife will help me with this. And, and then when, it, when they want somebody to do it, nobody does it. So uh, I get a chance to put up or shut up. <laughs> and so Lord willing, I'll be doing a kid's thing in one of the schools in Steinbeck. Well, it's pretty intimidating, kids, you know. <laughs> Have you really? Welcome to the club. Okay, so I might be able to survive, right? Okay, now here's my, my readers for the day. And uh, I, I need, um, just a minute, two, I want, okay, I want, you, you will read here, the purple part over here. Mm -hmm. uh, can you read that okay? In this Bible, do you want it in there? There's a microphone someplace here, I'm sure. It's coming? Okay. So you're going to, see this here? You're going to read the purple part, and then you're going to switch here and read only the purple part. Okay, then you're going to come, and over here, um, the black part, you're going to read the black part. Okay. Okay? So, for all of you who are wondering, we're in, in the book of Jeremiah, and we want to have a, an encouragement from the weeping prophet. So I read here? <laughs> you're gonna, yeah, here, I'll help. And here, and here. You got it. Okay. But, but when you read the, the you got to wait for him to read this, then you read this, then he'll read that, and then, okay. you got it? So we're all under control. Okay, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 11 to 13. For the truth, I for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calm, calamity. calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me. I will find and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart. Okay, just a minute. Now he's going to read. But So who were you actually speaking? Who was saying those words? The Lord. The Lord. God was saying those words, and you were reading them. Jeremiah wrote them down, but these are, it's like God is speaking to us right now. This is what I'm telling you, right? Okay. Right here. Jeremiah 1. For now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Wait. So here's Jeremiah speaking. Yeah, you take it now. Here's Jeremiah speaking, right? And he says, the word of the Lord came to me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I con consecrated. consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Okay. Six. Then I said, Alas, alas, Lord God, behold, 
I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a youth. I know how to speak. (laughs) But the Lord said to me, The Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And do not, and all I command you, you you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. I will to deliver you. Declares the Lord. Okay. Then the Lord stretched out his hands and touched me, my mouth, and... The Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and break down. No, 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 forget those black parts. Can't you just keep reading? Words. Mm -hmm. To destroy and overthrow words. To build and to plant words. Thank you. Thank you. Brilliant. (laughs) Father, I thank you for your love and mercy. I thank you for these two youth who are willing to read and participate with us. And uh, it's profound. That giggle was from you, too. I love it. Thank you, Lord. You're amazing. You're amazing, amazing. Amen. So today we want to have a lesson from Jeremiah, and, and you know, I just love it when, when the youth reads and says, I have appointed you youth, and he giggles and laughs, right? And throughout scripture, we need to understand God is, is quite open with who he chooses and picks. I mean, picks people that you and I often wouldn't, or for whatever reason. There's a lot of things that we don't understand about, about life and about the world, and For me, the older I get, the more I realize that the things that I thought I knew, I actually didn't. (laughs) And the things I thought I understood, I actually don't and haven't. But that's okay. For example, heaven, where's heaven? Or, or, Or what happens in this world? Or I call upon the Lord. The verses you read this morning were brilliant. I could just preach from them, and and there you go. And the songs we sang were brilliant as well, and it, it just all flowed together. <clears throat> I was reminded of a person who was called to go someplace to do something that was exponentially greater than anything he ever thought he'd be able to do, and he was struggling and struggling and struggling with what to do and how to do it, and then uh, um, he had a dream, and in the dream, first of all, he was, he was a person who had drowned. He had physically drowned, become unconscious underwater, and then got pulled out and resuscitated back into life. So whenever this person would go into the water to go over their head, their body would panic because of that experience as a youth. And so this person was asked to do something that was beyond his capability, struggling with these things, and then he had a dream and a vision, and in this vision, he was hanging onto a pier in in the water, and then then he'd push away from the pier and dog paddle, and then hang onto the pier, and then dog paddle, and hang onto the pier. And so there was this, the swimming this person could do was just the dog paddling part. And as he hung onto the pier, then at one point he pushed away from the pier and all of a sudden he realized he's in the middle of the lake and goes, oh, oh, that's not good. So there's no 
dog paddling going to get you to the shore anywhere, anyhow. And so panic was coming and setting in. And as he was floating down and the bubbles coming up around him, and he says, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, I'm going to drown her. That's it. And that's finished. And the little voice says to him, well, no, why don't you breathe? And he says, well, because I'm underwater and I can't breathe water. And he says, why don't you breathe? It's impossible. Why don't you breathe? So he started breathing. And the instant he started breathing, he was reminded that the baby in the mother's womb breathes in the embryonic fluid, the water in the womb. is breathed in and out of the lungs and exercises the lungs. And then when the baby comes out, it breathes the oxygen. And then the voice said, if you can breathe underwater, what are you afraid of? And so then he was breathing underwater and just walking around. No worries. God has ways of encouraging and communicating with us. And, and, and just like we talk about heavens and the songs and things talked about heavens and, and, and where is heaven, what is it? We need to understand that the Holy Spirit is everywhere. You, we can't get away from him, but we think of him someplace. If you, can, if you think you can get away from the Holy Spirit, just stop breathing. How long does that work for you? But we, we still don't think of his absolute presence where we are with us everywhere. Um, now, I want to say some things here. Have you ever been uh, binge watching a show during COVID-19? <laughs> okay, so what's your favorite binge watching program? Anybody? What's that? Still more girls. Gilmore Girls. I need hearing aids, you may be. <laughs> Gilmore Girls. I have to say, I have never watched Gilmore Girls. Um, anybody else? Somebody, what, what about Lord of the Rings? Anybody watched Lord of the Rings? That, that's like eight hours or 12 hours or something? It, it's forever, right? The Avengers, there you go. So imagine for a minute that you're the kind of person who likes binge watching these kind of shows and movies and and very often at the last 15 minutes or so of, of eight hours of movies, there's this incredibly sensitive time. And you're watching it and you're sitting there and you're between crying and laughing because this is the incredible climax of it. And then imagine for a minute that another person walks into the house or room who's not that keen on binge watching, plops down beside you, hey, what's happening? <laughs> Why are you crying? Who's that? on the TV, what, what, what's this? And you just stop the TV and you say, go away, right? Because <laughs> you don't understand anything about anything. You're coming into this little piece, just go away. I've read about people like that. My wife's laughter betrayeth me. <laughs> because that's, I'm famous for that. So who's this, what's that, what's going on? And the point is that if she would take the time to explain everything, then I'd say, okay, and get up and leave. And I wouldn't even watch the rest of it with her. So, so she says, just go, right? Just don't, don't be here. Binge watching, that scenario is like us looking at Jeremiah and trying to make sense from it. We don't have a clue what's going on. What's happening and why it's happening, we don't, we don't understand, okay? So... Um, another little example, let's say you're watching sports and as men 
typically, we like to watch more sports than women. I'll give you a little secret, a little clue. You men, if you want your wives to watch sports with you. What's that? Fantasy football? No, no. You see, the, your favorite teams, you've got to find out information about the players, personal information, and then tell your wife about that stuff. Did you know that guy's got like three kids? Really? How, how old are they? You tell them all about it. Then all of a sudden, your wife wants, oh, what's his number? Oh, okay, that's his number. Okay, very good. Oh, there he is. There he is. He's on the, oh, I'm cheering for him. I tell you, it is pure manipulation, <laughs> but it is wonderful. <laughs> so you can use that, and, and you can, here's the crazy thing about it. You can even tell them what you're doing. I'm going to tell you some stuff here, and you won't be able to resist, but you're going to want to watch the sporting event. And then your wife will say, no, 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 I can resist that. And you just give some information, and all of a sudden they're drawn in, and they just can't walk away. Or you could say to them, I want to watch a sports movie this afternoon. And they, she'll say, oh, wow, you're watching sports? Then you're going to watch a sports movie? Well, yeah, but, but this, this kid would play baseball at least as a kid. And he get, kept getting teased and, and mocked as a kid. And, and, and everybody says, you can't play, you're, you're nothing, and, and you, you can't do it. And well, why was he mocked? Well, he was missing an arm. You see, he was born with this arm only being till here. Then you go, Really? Yeah, so this kid did a lot of sports as a kid, but always only bottom sports, but he always wanted to play baseball. And he says, oh, everybody says, you can't play baseball. Well, why not? And they go, duh, you only got one arm. You need two to play baseball. But he wanted to play baseball. Did you know his name is Jim Abbott? Oh, yeah. And he pitched a no-hitter, mm -hmm. which very, very few pitchers have ever done in the major leagues. Right. Mm -hmm. He's a real guy. Wouldn't it be great to watch a sports movie about this guy? He's married. He's got three kids now. You see that? You get pulled in. To the <laughs> the point I make is that there's, when there's a connection, we're interested. What's the point, right? What's the connection to whatever it is you're telling? Everything is about context, context, context. So when we read this book, and I can tell you all that it's about, what does it say, the first verse, what does it say? In the beginning, God created in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Thank you. In the beginning, God. Does it say in the beginning any other place in the Bible? Where else? John, and what does he say in John? In the beginning was the word. So in the beginning was God, and in the beginning was the Word. There's context for you. But what if you don't believe in God? Then what? In the beginning? There was a bang. Okay, but what was there? In the beginning, there was nothing. Okay, so I happen to know some fairly smart young kids who explain to somebody that, Grandpa, it makes no sense that from nothing you would get something because nothing is nothing. I propose to you that somebody is trying to explain what happened and they don't understand that there's no such thing as nothing.
Because God is everywhere. God is always and has always been. And then sometime he decided to speak. And the words he spoke, something became visible. And if we want to deny God, now we've got to try and explain the visible by denying God. And we start with what's visible and we forget it. I have to. I have to confess, I sometimes laugh out loud when I hear about somebody discovered something. Oh, this thing here is old, four billion years old. And I laugh out loud. And poor Lynn sometimes listens to me preach about that when I hear those statements. And, and I understand now, people are trying to explain stuff without God. And you will say pretty crazy, incredible, fantastic things and a lot of people might believe it or not believe it. And I go, you know, those crazy, fantastic things, probably a lot of that's true. It's just you don't understand it, and we don't understand it. So, context. In the beginning, God. Now, what's the point of in the beginning, God? In the beginning, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit had relationship. And he says, I want to have relationship with my creation. And so I will create you in my image. You're unique as a human being that you get to choose. See, you get to choose to accept or to reject other people. And we can communicate with each other. Unlike any other part of creation, we can think, logic, plan, make choices, and, and talk about stuff. So God wanted a relationship with us. Now, we read the verse in the beginning of, I know the plans I have for you, written by Jeremiah. And these are great on... Graduation cards, Hallmark, I mean, they must have made a million dollars from this verse, right? And um, I've quoted it, I've written it in wedding cards, I've written it into sermons, it's just, it's amazing. These are God's plans and purposes for us. Context is important. The verse just before that says, For thus saith the Lord, when 70 years has been completed for Babylon, when you've been living in this miserable place that you're at for 70 years, then remember, I got plans for you. <laughs> 70 years? You got plans for me? Who of us is still around? We're gone. We're long gone. I mean, I want to know what's the benefit. I'll wait, I'll wait till next week. But 70 years? And so how does somebody wait 70 years? How do you go through difficulty and, and struggles? It's about the relationship. It's not about where you are, what's going on. So Jeremiah came and he was, he was prophesying during the reign of four different kings. And God had relationship with Jeremiah. And throughout scripture, God wants us to understand relationship with him, relationship with each other. That's everything. That's everything. So God had relationship with Jeremiah and he chooses him to go and confront the people. And then he says, I, I think Jeremiah might have been an introvert type person, just when I think about it. And I think Jeremiah might have said, you know, God, you know, this thing we got here, you talking to me, you talking to you, and I'm writing in my prayer journal, this is wonderful. Why can't we just leave it at this, okay? And, and God says, okay, because everything is a mess over here, don't you know? And in his journal, when we read it, we hear God and Jeremiah talking about the situation. 
God telling Jeremiah about the mess. Jeremiah telling God about the mess. And Jeremiah, I think, is just perfectly content to be praying and sitting there and doing this. And God says, okay, I want you to go and talk to him about it. And that's when this young lad says, but I'm, I'm, I'm a youth. I can't talk to him. Because he knows it's going to go bad. Really, really badly. But God says, I'm, I'm with you. So God says, you're my prophet. What does that mean, you're my prophet? Well, first of all, it means that God has chosen you. Do you know why? Because. Do you know why we're not in Rwanda? Because. Do you know why we have COVID-19 now? Because. We do. Do you want to find the answer and make sense from it for whatever? You spin your tires all day long. God has a plan and God has a purpose. So God chooses. Number two, the prophet of God hears the word of the Lord. Before Jeremiah speaks the word, he hears the word. This is Jeremiah and God walking and talking. Jeremiah is impacted by the word. The prophet of God is impacted. God says, I want you to go talk to somebody about it, but the prophet is impacted and owns it. I just give you Jonah, for example, and Jonah says to God, I know what you want to do. You want to redeem those people. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't want that to happen. I'm not going to go. See, the prophet is impacted and has the opportunity to choose to submit or not. And again, I give you Jonah as the example of bad choice to choose not to submit. You might not like fish for dinner, but fish might not like you for dinner either. So whichever way, but we can choose. So the prophet is impacted. Uh, and throughout scripture, you hear it like there, there's Abraham debating with God. What's happening? He, Abraham has relationship with God. And he's looking at what's happening down there and, and at, at, with Sodom and, and Abraham and God are talking throughout scripture that you read about the prophets and it's a conversation with God. Brilliant. God just peels back a little bit so we can see what's going on. And fourth, the prophet brings God's message. The prophet brings God's message. Now here's the thing. If you bring a really good message, if I'm the messenger and I come to your door with a message and I know the message and I know that there's a check for $500,000 in this envelope, and I give you the envelope, I'm going to wait around for you to open it. Right? Because you're going to be really, really happy. If I'm going to bring you a message, and I know this message is telling you that you're going to lose your house, I might not want to stick around. I might not. If I'm the one bringing you the message that your whole family has been annihilated... I might want to ask you, do you have a friend close by that you could invite over before I tell you the message? You see, the messenger is impacted. And again, the scripture is full of it. The apostle Paul, he came with a message. They didn't like it. They wanted to kill him. Then they discovered he was actually from God. Now they, they wanted to make him a god. They'll worship him. 
we have the Old Testament, Elisha, and, and, and the prophet who wanted to get money. It, it, over and over again, we have the relationship with the prophet, with God, and with the people. And when we read scriptures, typically we're trying to look at it, say, what is it saying to us today? What's the point of this whole story? The point is, God wants us to understand that this whole book is about relationships that he has had throughout history with people, and it gives us a picture of a relationship that he wants to have with us. And people make mistakes all over place in Scripture, and he says, I want you to understand, I, I know you're not perfect yet, and you're going to make mistakes. Get over it. And when you make the mistakes, you come to me and we talk about it, and we'll move on. And when Jesus taught his disciples and he, and he got into it, he says right in the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when you mess up, God knows this, come to him, tell him about it, and he knows straighten out. But your relationship will grow deeper. Lynn and I have been married now for some time. <clears throat> Forty. Six? <laughs> Did you know marriage is about a relationship? It's a conversation that started before we got married. Then we got married, we made a lifetime commitment to each other. And we can sit and visit all day long. And then it's time to go to bed, and then I want to go to bed because I'm an early bedder person, and somebody else wants to keep talking about deep things. It's been all day. But then in the morning, I'm an early riser person. I want to wake her up because I want to start talking again. It's a relationship. It's got good, bad, ugly, everything there. But it's a relationship. And we have shared memories. And God says, I want relationship with you. I want you to have relationship with me, and I want us to have shared memories. So you write in your prayer journal all these things, and you talk with God and debate with God. And Jeremiah is a brilliant example of that kind of relationship. Jeremiah was nothing special. He was an ordinary priest. He was a nobody. Why? Because he came from the city of Anathoth, which was known as a refuge city. This is where you would run to if you're found guilty of having killed somebody. And they said, okay, you can go and hide there, and then nobody can come and kill you. Well, it's not really a place you want to go and settle. You know what I'm saying? That's where he is from. And he was a priest there. Why? Because it's not the situation or circumstance we're in. It's our response to the situation or circumstance that determines what happens? Our response. So Jeremiah experienced the horrors of war. Starvation, siege. Siege means you're surrounded by the enemy. Everybody, everything is cut off. You're totally isolated. Anybody know what that feels like? To be totally isolated. And there you are, you're totally isolated. And he knows that feeling. And then being taken captive. He was called by God to tell the people and urge them to listen. And Jeremiah witnessed... The, the, in, in ahead of time, prophetically, and in real time, the destruction of his people. 
You see, he told everybody, if you don't smarten up, bad things are going to happen. Really, really bad things. And they didn't listen to him. And then he saw it happen. And he wept. Because it didn't have to be that way. Who of us hasn't sat with a, a person who's making bad choices in life? He said, it doesn't have to be this way. But you get to choose. You see, God says, you get to choose. And then it goes really, really bad. And they come to you and say, what now? And you say, I told you so. Well, you don't. Because you're more gracious than I am. You might say, what, do, what don't you understand about the questions and the choices you had? Yes, but I don't like the consequences. Well, I understand that. But God respects your choices. He says, you get to choose. <clears throat> and Jeremiah weeps. And if you think his weeping wasn't serious enough, then there's a whole book called Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah, which is lamenting what's going on. So Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2, verses 1 to 4, for example, he says, don't forget, when things go really, really well, don't forget. Famous last words, right? Go really well and we forget. We forget who we are. We forget that we're nobody from nothing. We think we're something special, something super. We forget. So then God presents a case in, cha in chapter 2, verses 5 to 13, he represents a case of how he has been misrepresented by the people. And he says in, in verse, verse 6, they, they did not say, and in verse 13 he says, he says this, For my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So God says, I've given you everything. And what have you done? You've turned your back on me. Number two, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, if you think, little good old fifth grader logic, right? If you think in the logic of these two young adults, young children, or children who, who read that Bible verse, they might say, okay, what's the cistern for, Dad? Why are you building the cistern? Well, we want it to hold water. What water? Where are you going to get water from? From God. Okay, but you've rejected God. You've turned that tap off. And now you want to build a cistern to hold the water. You see, God says, this doesn't make any sense. Where are you going to get the water to put in the system, in the cistern? I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I can name three towns that were close to where I lived, and you don't know any one of them. And I was in the middle of all of them. Middle of nowhere. Cain, Low Farm, Horn Dean. Oh, you all know where I'm from. You're also from nowhere, I see. <laughs> Yancey, us nowhere. Yeah, you just know Yancey, but you don't know specific. Oh, I live on Yancey. Oh, you know Yancey. You see, that's, that's comforting that, that 
us people who are from nowhere, we know what it's like. So you, I, you understand. Where I grew up, the water was bad. There, there was no good well water. So we had to go to, to the town and bring in a, a truckload of water every so often and put it into our cistern in the house. And so the cistern was in the house, and once in a while we had to clean the cistern because it had about six inches of sludge in the bottom of the cistern. cistern. So you clean that all out, wash it, and then you put in your fresh drinking water that you can drink. And every time you filled it up with fresh drinking water, you would have to skim the dead mice off the top of the cistern. We don't know where they came from, but there they were, and they revealed themselves when we filled the cistern with fresh water. That was our fresh drinking water in the well and in the cistern. I so appreciate the water we have here and drink here. So when he says here, you've hewn for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns, cisterns that can hold no water, I think of cisterns and I don't have happy thoughts. Because then we would melt the snow to fill it with water. Well, the snow, when it's melted, it tastes like dirt. I know that. And then when it rains in the spring, now the cisterns fill up, but now it stirs up the dirt that was on the snow that we melted, that we put into the house. Now it tastes like dirt. That was our fresh water. At least we had water. So in, in chapter 3, God gives evidence of the rebellion. And God says this, Then the Lord said to me in the days of Joash the king. So here we have the, the young lad talking to the young lady. And the young lady was representing God's words. Right? Got that? So, the Lord said to me, Hey God, haven't you seen the Lord? No, this is what God says. God says to, to Jeremiah, pardon me. Have you not seen what faithless Israel did? God is complaining to Jeremiah. They have a relationship. It's brilliant. She went up every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she's done all these things, I thought she's going to come back to me, but she didn't. She's treacherous, she doesn't care. Then I saw, I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent them away and I, I gave away the writ of divorce. And yet she was treacherous. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land. Yet in spite of all this, her treacheries, Sister Judah did not return to me, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. Verse 18, in those days the house of Judah will walk with the house of Israel, and they will come together from the land of the north and the land that I gave their fathers as inheritance. Return, O faithless sons. I will heal your faithlessness. Those words were spoken 2,700 years ago. And they have not yet happened. And when you read the book of Jeremiah, there's places where, where God weeps. God says all the wonderful things he wanted to do for his people who kept rejecting him in it, and then God weeps. Because he does not want to hurt people. He says, the plans I have for you. Do you know the plans I have for you? 
for welfare, not for calamity. And he sees what's happening, and he weeps, and he weeps. There's a book that talks about uh, abuse and victims of abuse, and people who've been severely abused will sometimes ask, where was God? The truth is God was there, and he was weeping. The book is called When God Weeps. Bad things happen. And people say, God deserted us, God has left us. That is impossible. But God respects people's rights to choose. And when we make really bad choices, he weeps because he knows the consequences that are coming. And that's not his desire. Chapter 3, verse 22. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. So I, I think ahead to Jesus when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying, if you don't have faith, if you keep messing up and don't have faith, come to me and tell me that. Uh, that's what I want to work with right there. Just be honest. And I'll give you faith. Jeremiah continues, behold, so now that Jeremiah, the, the nations are speaking, behold, we come to you, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the hills are a deception. Hills, the places I look to for hope and trust, I've been deceived. A tumult on the, on the mountains. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Do you know where Jeremiah is right now? Oh, I got more information than that. Before Jesus came, when somebody who believed in the Lord died, they would go into a holding area before they would get to heaven. And we can read at different times in Scripture when somebody tried to contact people in that area or from this side to that side, they're calling, saying, hey, why don't you go send somebody to help? Remember that? So those are the stories there. And you can see that. When Christ came, when he died and he entered the grave, the grave was unlocked. And those people with Christ, when Christ went up to heaven, they went with him. There's no more holding cells. Why? He wants us to be with him. And if we're going to be in the mess, in the pigsty making our choices, he will weep, but he will be there. Satan does not want us to know that. Does not want us to live in the reality of the presence of God. So here's Jeremiah. I can tell you where he is. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us endure the race that is set before us. This is our race. This is our time today. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Jeremiah is saying, that was me 
2,000, pardon me, 700 years before Christ was here, I fixed my eyes on that hope of him. And I'm telling you now, from heaven, I am there with him. I'm telling you right now, you people, don't give up. Put your hope on him. I'm telling you, I'm there. I'm here. That prophecy God gave through me 2,700 years ago will happen. I know it will happen. Because do you know where I am? <laughs> do you know where I am? And you're going to be here with me. Don't give up. Understand this. God wants relationship with you. The relationship goes much deeper in the bad times than in the good times. You're having bad times? Guess what? You're poised for a deeper relationship with the Lord. And you, you might want to say, well, I'm going to give up. Anybody who gives up does not understand who Jesus is. As Peter said, Jesus says, you want to, you want to give up too? Jesus says, where am I going to go? Peter says, where am I going to go? Without you, I got nothing. Where am I going to go? And somebody might say, well, you're going to die. You're going to lose everything. And Peter says, well, no. Actually, I'm going to gain everything. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, Jesus Christ. The father comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how are you doing? And here's Jesus. He could have called thousands and thousands of angels. Did you know that they were not often some distance waiting? I believe they were all around. They were, it was so jam-packed with angels everywhere. But nobody could see them. Jesus could see them. And the angels are waiting. Waiting for the Father's command to intervene. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to stay here. So whatever struggles we're going through, if we understand the Father is willing to intervene, but he wants to be glorified through our struggle, we can look at the Father, we can say, I'm going to stay here in this mess. And I'm going to worship you. And that's when we have lamentations, the highest form of praise, when you worship in the middle of the strife. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility, despising the shame of the cross, such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Maybe you're not going through difficulties and struggles. Good on you. Don't forget God. Don't forget to pray and to worship. Maybe you feel useless because you can't go to Rwanda now and do all the things you did. All oh, wait, wait a minute. I'm not talking to myself. <laughs> and you wonder, and people say, so what are you doing? What value do you have? As a missionary, when you can't go there. How are you going to validate? How are you going to justify getting an income when you're not going there and doing this and doing that? What are you doing? 
I may have gone through some identity crisis. And you go to Jesus and he says, Dave, I thought we had this clear. You do whatever I ask you to do. And if that's walking and praying, you walk and pray. And if that's doing the kids program at the school, you do the kids program. And if I wanted you someplace else, I could have you there. That was not that hard. I, I repent again and again. I confess. I haven't got the faith. And Father, this is very good. I'll give that to you. Because you see something? You do see how little faith you need? When you come and you say, I got nothing, nothing, nothing. And he says, okay. With your nothing, nothing, I can move mountains. Because you understand who's doing the moving. Just talk to me, he says. I want this relationship. Tell me. Don't try and impress me. Talk to me. Father, you love us so much. Holy Spirit, you are here with us. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done for your glory. Amen.